Welcome to RP Now, conversations to connect our practice. This podcast is produced for you, RP physicians and support team mates. Here, we discuss all things RP in an effort to inform and engage through meaningful conversations. Welcome back, team. Today's conversation is just for men. Well, not really. We hope everyone will listen. But as Dr. Barbara Hamilton talks with Dr. Rich Heller about her journey from medical school to becoming an interventional radiologist, we hope to shine a light on often unseen and unspoken barriers that can prevent a sense of belonging, particularly for women in radiology. Let's get right to our conversation. We are back with the podcast. Today, we are lucky to have Dr. Barbara Hamilton. She's an interventional radiologist at RP's Golden State Imaging Practice in Southern California and the author of Save Lives, Enjoy Your Own, Finding Your Place in Medicine. Through her writing, speaking, and coaching, Dr. Hamilton helps aspiring and early career doctors succeed in traditionally male-dominated fields by pulling back the curtain on what it looks like to be a woman and a parent in medicine. She aims to patch the leaky pipeline of women aspiring to the male-dominated fields. Dr. Hamilton has an MD from Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson Medical School and completed her residency at Brown University with a fellowship in interventional radiology at UCLA. She is the chief of IR at Desert Regional Medical Center in Palm Springs, California. Most recently, Dr. Hamilton participated in the webinar, RP Presents, The Future is Now, Women Leading Healthcare, which is available on demand at radpartners.com. Dr. Hamilton, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. In reading your bio, which is obviously very impressive, it's clear that you have a passion for helping women see beyond the stereotypes of various clinical specialties. I have to imagine this passion comes from personal experience. And I was hoping that you could share a a bit of your own story of choosing a career in medicine and then how you came to choose radiology and, and ultimately choose interventional radiology. Yes, it was quite the path. And I think for all people going through medical school, uh, the third year is an overwhelming one. And some of us come into medical school not even knowing what a radiologist does. And I was one of those people. So I consider myself extremely lucky that I stumbled upon my first mentor, a radiologist who taught us how to read a chest x-ray in our second year pathophysiology class. And from there, I was instantly pulled in I took a dedicated elective in radiology, and luckily at my institution, not all people are so lucky, uh, but I was able to take a full month of radiology where I rotated through the different areas. I got to learn about all the different kinds of radiologists that exist, and I was introduced to my first fistulogram of all procedures. (laughs) And I was, I thought this guy was a wizard. I immediately knew that that's what I needed to do in life. After a fistulogram? Wow, okay. Yes, I saw this, uh, you know, of course, he was a tall, kind of a lumbering guy in a dark room. He was uh, through just a pinhole access. He was reopening this AV fistula for this person so they could get dialysis. And I thought, wow, that's incredible. Just the way he was doing an image-guided procedure. I was very visually driven. And so that was really appealing to me. And the fact that it was so stealthy that he could be working in this person's arm without cutting it open, I just thought, it was completely new to me. So it was pretty clear right away. I was pulled in right away. And then just later on, I had some doubts. Um, so I had to work through those. 
Were you ever advised to steer clear of IR? Did anyone, did anyone ever say that or have a conversation with you? Like, hey, you know, do you want to be a wife and mom? This is a hard, did anyone, did anyone ever say that to you? Yes, definitely. So I think there's a lot of benevolent sexism that happens that keeps women out of IR. And I do think it's benevolent, uh, but it is sexism. So I made it into a fantastic diagnostic radiology program. And uh, once you're there, I think a lot, the mentality is that once you've made it that far, you could have a great life. You can go home at five if you choose. So why would you mess that up by doing something that's more surgically oriented? And that was kind of the mentality. And I think I was just in kind of a traditional place. There was definitely the boys club atmosphere. Uh, They had not had a female fellow in my department since the 90s. I mean, that speaks really loudly without saying anything. I think, you know, so in a couple of decades, they had not had a female fellow, despite having three fellows per year. And so when you were in that department, I mean, you'd walk in in the morning, it felt like you were walking into a men's locker room. And, you know, so there were just, you know, men's things everywhere. Uh, And I was treated well. I mean, it was not... I think there are just some of these unspoken barriers that keep certain people from feeling like they belong there. And it's intimidating to learn something that's completely new. And, you know, you just add those little extra factors like people saying, well, you know, maybe this isn't, maybe you should do something easier. Maybe you should go home earlier to your family. I mean, I didn't have a family at that time. I didn't even have a boyfriend at that time. So, and that wasn't what I wanted to decide my career choice either. I hope that some guys are on the line listening, that even if you say things that you think may be helpful, they may not be helpful. Uh, Because for me, I'm very driven to go in and treat a trauma patient. And that's something that really lights my fire. That's not the case for everyone. So just saying that certain people shouldn't do certain things is not helpful in general. Well, you talked about that locker room atmosphere and it made me think back to my own IR experience and going back to it, we had five or so, maybe more, you know, IR fellows a year. And I can recall one being a woman, but your, your point is incredibly well taken. I have a question for you that you talked, I like that expression, benevolent sexism. Did that benevolent sexism come from men and women or just men? In my program, a fabulous program, wonderful program, I got the best training, but I will say women's imaging was what women typically did. So out of seven residents per year, there would be one to two females. It was just like clockwork, one or two, one or two. And usually those women would go into women's imaging and the the year ahead of me, one of the most brilliant residents, one of the most brilliant people I've ever known, she went into neuroimaging. She broke the mold a little bit. And then my year... I had one other woman in my class. She went into body imaging. So I think we broke the mold a little bit, but there was just this perception that, you know, this area is for you and you can go here and you don't have as much call. Your call is not as onerous. So this is what you should do because you'll still make a good salary. I think it was just, you know, a lot of it was unspoken, but some, sometimes it was spoken out loud by women saying like, come with us. It's better over here. They were, they were encouraging, but in, in a way of like, don't do that, come with us. In the IR department, it was, it was just intimidating to declare yourself. So even though, like I said, as a medical student, I, I was pulled to IR very strongly. But once I hit that atmosphere of this more traditional atmosphere at a, at a top program, I found it harder because I felt like I was under a microscope. You know, you never, at a, at a top program, you're never going to feel good enough. And that's, almost by by design, you know, the training is to keep you constantly reading, constantly trying to be better. You're trying to become the doctor's doctor. So 
I get it. But then you're going into this whole uh, surgical part of the department and it's, it's just intimidating. And, and look, I, that could not have been easy. I want to talk to you about your blog and your book, but before you jumped into writing your book, you, you launched a blog, Tired Super Heroin. Mm-hmm. And it's you know dedicated to helping others find their own place in medicine. But I was hoping you could walk us through that progression from thinking about writing a blog to then writing a blog to then actually you know making the leap and writing your own book. Can you talk to us about that that process? Sure, it was really fun. It's been a huge learning experience, a huge opportunity for personal growth. Basically, I landed in private practice. I had always known that academics wasn't for me. I didn't really feel at home there. I wasn't really research driven. But yet I still felt like I had something to give. I had landed in the community and established myself and yet had no access to trainees. I just felt like I had landed in this fantastic life and needed to share it with other women because along the way people tell you, well, this isn't really for you. I wanted to tell them from the other side, like, hey, come over here. This is for you and this is fantastic. So I got involved in the Society of Interventional Radiology, which you know, when you're in private practice, it just happens on your own time. You don't have academic time, which is, it's been a fantastic opportunity to like network with people across the country and just learn about how the society works. So that's been fantastic. But I also realized while I was working in the society that there were some limitations, like it was still a society that was, well, male dominated. I mean, <laughs> so when I looked around the internet, I saw lots of blogs and lots of people putting out helpful content, but just, I didn't see my voice there or our voice there. And so I wanted to make that contribution. I've always liked to write and I felt like I could share some of these lessons that I had been learning in my early career. From there, I mean, after writing for a couple of years, I thought I would put together a little ebook. I stumbled upon a book coach and uh, she convinced me it could be a real book. And that's how my book came about, which I am happy to say was published in October of 2020. I think everyone has a book in them. (laughs) (laughs) That may be true. I mean, and you talked about this on the the recent RP panel. So you, you were part of that RP panel that we did, which was early in February, recognizing National Women Physicians Day. So first of all, thank you for, for being part of that conversation. But I'm curious, did anything strike you during that discussion? Because one of the lines that I remember was the story of a male physician saying something to the extent of, you know, at the end of the day, another day, another dollar, to which the female physician replied, yep, another day, another 75 cents, which was you know, a vivid depiction of the gender pay gap. Was there anything that struck you during the conversation that, that you've been talking about? Thank you so much for inviting me to be on that panel. And I found it to be such a wonderful experience to virtually meet those powerhouse women that I otherwise wouldn't have a chance to meet. That was really, really fun for me. And I thought that story was so cutting and so apt. I loved that she shared that. Uh, It was very refreshing how open people were during the panel because sometimes we tiptoe around these issues that we are facing. And Really, if we don't give voice to them, I think they build up. And I think this contributes to the rate of burnout in female physicians. They're up against this gender bias that some people, frankly, deny even exists. I'm really lucky that I I keep using the word lucky. Maybe I'm using it too much. But uh, this is maybe something women do. I have found myself able to ascend into leadership roles and those kinds of things. But one of the leaders in my specialty, Vicki Marks, I mean, she talks about a glass floor. So we still have a problem with, you know, women can't necessarily get in if they don't. I, I'm trying to be a voice to counterbalance that and let women know, you know, you can break through this glass floor. You can come be with me. Quick interruption here. 
Dr. Hamilton recently participated in our webinar series, RP Presents, The Future is Now, Women Leading Healthcare. In case you missed it, you can watch the replay on our website, radpartners.com, and then navigate to the news and webinars section. Now, back to our conversation. We got great feedback on that webinar. It was fantastic feedback, and you were outstanding on it. You, you did a fantastic job, so we appreciate you being there. One of the things you talked about was the intersection of motherhood and career. And I, I think, if I recall right, you talked about being a mother has made you a better physician. Am I correct on that? Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? What did you mean by that? Yeah, I, I wonder your thoughts about this, whether fatherhood has changed medicine for you. And I... Definitely, when I was approaching motherhood, I was a little bit worried about this. I thought that, you know, I know about the motherhood penalty. I had not always known about that expression, but I knew about the concept that, you know, mothers can be penalized (laughs) for trying to balance work and home responsibilities. And I approached motherhood with a kind of trepidation because of just what our culture says about it and all the expectations that are on mothers. And frankly, there's some misogyny in our culture that just is baked in. And I found that as I actually became a mother, every step of the way I was learning something that made me better at being a physician. And one of the things is I just, I definitely have a greater store of patience and compassion. And when you're an interventional radiologist, you need those every day. I mean, I have dialysis patients that the lidocaine is awful. They're screaming in pain. You know, it's like everyone is so different and everybody has different needs. And just being a mother of a child, you just, you see the person differently and you have a greater store of compassion. Would you agree? Yes, I would agree with that. I always had incredible appreciation and respect for my pediatric colleagues. But then when I had a kid, it just gave me more respect for them. And it realized like how little I know. My wife would ask me, she's like, aren't you a pediatric doctor? Don't you know? Like, like, I don't know. It's a rash. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't, they don't trip on x-rays. I have no idea. And then when my kid actually did have a serious rash, he had Lyme disease or, you know, whatever the rash was from that. I totally missed it. Thank God I asked somebody. I'm like, I don't know. It's a rash. Probably put some cream on it. It's fine. Like, no, that's actually what Lyme disease looks like. Have you guys been in the woods? Yes, we have actually. Okay, oh good. Gosh. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that, right? like, I don't know. It doesn't show up on x-ray. Like, I have no idea, right? <laughs> I didn't know that was even endemic where you are. I'm from New Jersey, so Lyme disease is like in our blood. <laughs> yeah, no, we had been at, we had been lots of places, including out east. Um, so Got they're it. like, have you been anywhere? Yeah, we were just hiking and so-and-so. Yeah, that's what Lyme disease looks like, man. Okay, cool. <laughs> I did not remember <laughs> that at all. Yes, my pediatric colleagues, my respect for them has deepened and deepened and deepened. Absolutely. What's interesting is that you're, you know, you're very multifaceted because it's not just talking to women about careers in medicine, but you actually get into like finances and debt, like really important subjects. Like what advice do you start with when somebody asks you about that? Are there any easy first steps or ways for people to get started if they want to learn more about this? Yes. If people ask, I have a number of resources that I've used to learn about personal finance. I think as the breadwinner of the family, it's a huge learning curve when you're coming out of training and it's a huge responsibility to take care of this pile of money. Some would say it's like back pay because you're being paid so little for so long. And so it's really a big responsibility to make that work for you once it starts coming in. As far as my platform, I use it to, again, demystify. I'm trying to demystify the career and demystify what it looks like to be empowered in that career. And part of that is taking care of your family and being able to take care of yourself. So I think finance is integral to that. And I've just 
done it in an informal way. There are lots of websites and lots of places where people will give you the nitty gritty details of like starting a budget or setting up your retirement accounts or what the different accounts are. But so I don't speak to that as much. I I prefer to talk about mindset and my personal goals. We just have this taboo about talking about money. And I think it's compounded as women in medicine because women are, you know, it's an altruistic career and we're not supposed to be motivated by money. But the reality is I'm the breadwinner in my family by about 10 to 15 times. I mean, my husband is a music teacher and it's up to me. And so the only way to thrive in a career is to have that be a component that you pay attention to. Are there any resources or things that you direct people towards that want to learn more that you've found helpful? Absolutely. Aside from my website, I mean, I'm a fan of, uh, so there's a book called The Simple Path to Wealth, and that talks about uh, simple index fund investing. And I'm very kind of wary of financial advisors. So sometimes people ask me about that. Yeah. really hard. I think getting a personal finance education yourself, by the time you know enough to know whether you can trust a financial advisor, you can basically do it yourself. Um, There are other professionals that I do think we need to lean on. So that's kind of my stance. Not everybody would agree. So for some people, a fee-only financial advisor, a fiduciary is a good resource. Uh, For me, it, it hasn't been. And more like books, podcasts, and uh, there are just so many. But so for, exi- for example, in, for investing, uh, the Bigger Pockets podcast helped me to invest in my first uh, rental property and helped to demystify that for me. Uh, so that's a great resource for anyone interested in that. How interesting. How cool. What are the resources that you used to learn about this? So I, I and that is not my passion, personal investing. My passion is, um, is economics, though. And so, again, like you said, it was a matter of finding your own resources and teaching yourself. And so, mm-hmm. I, you know, I really leaned on a lot of the society stuff and sort of started reading a lot of society articles and educating myself. And then was very lucky that there, we've had some, to use your word, benevolent people and radiology partners who have educated me quite a bit. So I've leaned on the revenue cycle management people who got lots and lots of emails early on uh, asking them to explain things to me. And they were very kind and took the time, you know, emailing like the chief revenue officer, like these very sort of one-on-one you know, level questions, hundred level class questions. And they took the time to explain these things to me and, and educate me. So Um, having others teach has been fantastic. And during the webinar, we touched on that, that some of these chairs of departments have learned on the job and they have had these informal mentorships where they could go to somebody with questions. So yeah, whether it's the finances of a practice or personal finance, both so important. I completely agree with you. And you know, it's interesting as as we're chatting and I'm hearing, you know, these examples of of things that people have told you with, you know, and the benevolent sexism, you know, I'm aware that, okay, as a male physician, I do not have that shared experience of what it's like to be a woman in medicine. What advice do you have for male physicians who want to partner with female colleagues, who want to be part of the advancement of medicine, who believe in the ideals that we're talking about? What can they do to be helpful? What advice do you have? That's a great question. And there are things that they can do that take a lot of courage. Uh, the first one being being open to listening. Like if somebody has made it to this point in the podcast, I really applaud you because some people would just tune out and say, this is about women in medicine. This is not about me. This is not for me. I think examining our own biases, we are all biased and being able to look within and examine your biases is something that it can be painful. Um, there are implicit 
bias tests, like through Harvard, has a great implicit bias assessment that's open to everyone. And uh, that's somewhere where people can start. Beyond that, I've found that like as a, as a white woman talking about it, the advancement of women in medicine, this very privileged, privileged class of professionals, I've found it really helpful to keep learning about where feminism is lacking. So, you know, that the men can do that as well. Keep reading. Like I just read Hood Feminism, which was recommended by a book club I follow. And that was an incisive uh, look at like traditional white feminism and where it leaves a lot of people behind. So the men need to be looking not just at their female colleagues, but of course, you know, like why do we only have 2% of African-American people in medicine? We do not reflect our patient populations at all. Another thing that I think men can do, which takes a lot of courage, uh, dismantling the boys club. So if they're, you know, if you're only doing golf outings, you're probably excluding some people. And so your leadership meetings, they can't just be a specific type of outing that might be excluding people. I think, you know, I think we're smarter than that. It's 2021 and we need to be more inclusive than that. So maybe try mixing it up. You can still have a little bit of a boys club. We're not trying to completely break it up, but <laughs> you know, it just, it doesn't benefit the organization if you're only having a uh, uniform perspective. One more thing that I just want to mention is it takes a lot of courage when you see something happening that you may actually want to speak up and you don't need to necessarily call someone out on the spot, but maybe use your channels or your influence to help improve things for the other people in your workplace who are potentially being exposed to implicit bias. So if you know that somebody's, you know, there's a frank gender pay gap and you're aware of this, like maybe use your channels to figure out how can you clue someone in or is there a politically sensitive way to fix that? We still have some work to do. That is absolutely, that is absolutely true. Thinking about radiology partners, now I recognize that your group is relatively new to RP, but what do you tell women that ask about radiology partners' commitment to equity and, and, and gender issues? So like you said, we've uh, just been with RP kind of integrating over the last 12 months, and it's been a really good experience uh, from the very start. You know, we had kind of a difficult situation that RP came into. They sort of rescued our contract. And from the very start, I felt comfortable working with them. So I could just tell that the culture of the organization is inclusive. Uh, I felt that my contribution as somebody who had already been in that location for like six years at that point was valued, like that my perspective was valued and my the leadership that I had um, pursued and accrued up to that point was, was viewed appropriately. And so I didn't perceive bias and I was really appreciative of that. You know, the wellness committee initiative, I think that's helpful. Obviously it's not targeted just toward women, but the fact that you have like a wellness barometer that definitely says something about, you know, not treating the radiologists as cogs in a wheel, but as people. And I really value that. So I think that's good for everyone. And then, of course, we have, you know, the belonging uh, committee, which I think is how I got plugged in with you. So I'm really grateful for that. And that <laughs> it's I think we like, got the better end of that deal. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it's just been fantastic to be able to network with you in that way. Otherwise, I don't know how we would have met. Well, I, I, we are pleased to have you with us. So we like to conclude with usually a, a series of rapid fire questions. These are sort of just quick questions, um, not really for discussion. Just we want to hear, you know, quick, you know, very brief answers. You ready for it? Yeah. 
Okay, so let's start. Now, now these are all very serious questions, so I, I need you to, to pay close attention. So your <laughs> blog is titled Tired Superheroine. Who is your favorite superhero? <laughs> um, maybe the Hulk. I, I don't, I'm not a big superhero person. <laughs> the Hulk, interesting choice though, Bruce. Interesting choice, yes, Bruce Banner. And the, that, that, you know what, that makes sense because of course he got it from the gamma radiation. So it was all radiation based. That one, you know what, I should have seen that one. That one makes sense. He, he got his powers from, from the radiation. I think radiation from- only kills the weak cells. Right, and that's what happened. That's how that's how Dr. Bruce Banner got it. Um, he got it from the, if I recall, Dr. Bruce Banner got it from the radiation. So another question then. Uh, first of all, I want to be clear. How are you dealing with this Arctic cold blast? You know, in Chicago, you know, it's been in the 20s or teens or lower. Uh, you know, Texas has horrible weather. I heard you guys even made it into the 60s. I, I hope you're doing okay in the 60s. I, I mean, I hope so. It's been really hard. You know, February is our best weather month of the whole year. So it's, it's been hard not to feel guilty every day enjoying <laughs> nice weather. It's really been hard for me reading the news headlines. Well, I you checked know, out the weather there and I saw this big orange thing, um, the circle orange thing, which I had not seen in quite some time. They keep showing every day for the weather in Palm Springs. What did, so, what did the orange signify? I think it was the sun. Oh. Um, <laughs> I think that was orange yellow. I, I think it was the sun. Um, we haven't seen it in, in Chicago. and so We'll see it again in June, but I'm, I'm, I'm told it's nice. I get it. I get it. I, yeah, I remember the months of gray. I'm yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm told it's lovely. So uh, one other question, and I'm very curious here. Have you actually ever been to the golf cart parade in Palm Desert? And, and this is important, is it as magical as I imagine? Is it just golf carts on parade for as far as the eye can see? Just people in golf carts on a parade? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it is what it sounds like. That's yet- fantastic. Are you a golfer? Not at all, but I love the idea of golf carts on parade. In fact, one thing if I could say that RP needs to work on, we don't have enough golf carts and not enough parades. Yeah. <laughs> well, so Tara and, and people, if, if you're listening for future POSs, golf carts. We need more golf carts. It's so true. I mean, in Palm Desert, that's a real, it's a legitimate means of transportation. You can go get your groceries in a golf cart because it's such a golf-infused community. And really the whole valley is. And yeah, Palm Springs also has many parades, of course, not with COVID, but I hope to, that we'll be able to bring those back next year. Why? Well, I'm very jealous. Well, so one last question, though. Where can folks continue this conversation with you if they want to learn more about Tired Superheroine? Yes. So my website talks all about building career capital. So it's very targeted toward the early career physician or those aspiring to medicine. And that's at tiredsuperheroine.com. I would love if people would buy their mentees a copy of my book um, that's called save lives enjoy your own finding your place in medicine and i'm also on the social channels so feel free to reach out to me on twitter i'm at t superheroine because tired was too long <laughs> well thank you so much for being here this has been a fantastic conversation and i know that i have learned a lot and appreciate you joining us yeah thank you so much for hosting That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you for listening. If you have questions, comments, or want to make a suggestion to help us improve this podcast, email communications at radpartners.com. As a Radiology Partners teammate, you have access to sensitive, confidential, restricted, and proprietary information about the practice. Such information should be used solely by you in the performance of your job duties for the practice and may not be disclosed or shared with others without express permission. You should take reasonable steps to protect the confidentiality of this information.